Well, if you've got your copy of God's Word, I invite you to open it, turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 26. We're going to bounce around to a few scriptures, but everything we do is going to be uh, in light of sharing the Lord's Supper together here in just a few minutes. Now that everyone's taking their seat, let's go to the Lord together in prayer. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for the ordinance of the Lord's Supper that you've given us. Lord, we thank you for this physical reminder that you have indeed had your body broken. You've had your blood poured out all so that we could be forgiven of our sins and have eternal life with you. God, you desire an intimate relationship with us. And Father, I pray that as we focus on that for the rest of this hour, Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts and lives. Lord, I pray that you would feed your people now. And Lord, I pray that you would use me to do it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this is a awkward week because normally July 4th falls on a weekend or close to a weekend. I remember when I was in the army, if there was ever a holiday that was either on a Monday or Tuesday or a Thursday or Friday, we'd always get a four-day weekend. And so if any government employees are here, any military folks, and July 4th being on a Wednesday, that's one of the worst things that could ever happen to you, right? Uh, almost during July 4th week, you'd rather get deployed than you would not have to get a four-day weekend. My wife disagrees, clearly. Uh, <laughs> but but uh, in the land of, of working for Uncle Sam, uh, there's a lot of time off involved, especially around holidays. Nothing better to do on July 4th than get a gaggle of folks together, of close friends, friends that you work together with, that you play together with. Go do something that you enjoy. Gather around the grill cooking good food, right? Not bad food, good food, right? You ever had a cookout at your house and walked in with substandard food that maybe you cooked a little too long on the grill? Maybe you threw the football more than you should have in between cooking the food? That ever happened to you guys? That's the benefit of living in this day and age, right? You can get a meat thermometer now, and you can put it in the food, and it'll send an alert to your phone when the food is done, right? Wives, that'd be a great Father's Day gift for many of the fathers. So you can not get sidetracked while the food's cooking, but there's nothing better than walking into this gathering of people that have come to your house or wherever the party is, and you hand out nicely cooked good steaks. That takes any party from okay to yeah, this is where it's at. You with me? Same thing with drinks. When you open the cooler at a party, and maybe they have generic drinks. If you live close to a Walmart, you used to have Sam's Cola, right? Like, it always made the party better when somebody sprung and got name brand drinks. Just for the record, right? Right? Some of you clearly don't care. Some of you, by the faces you're making, maybe Kool-Aid folks. So you just don't care what's in the cooler. You just, just want something cold to drink. Well, anyways, uh, the Lord recognizes all of this. So when Jesus was here on earth, he gave us two ordinances that lasted, right? He gave us the ordinance of baptism. That's when someone comes to faith in Jesus Christ. They're baptized. They're placed under the water, symbolizing that they've died to their sins. They've been buried in the likeness of Christ. And then they're raised to a new life. Okay, that's baptism. Baptism is your first real outward act of obedience after you come to faith in Jesus Christ. So you can show to the world with an outward symbol that you've repented of your sin, you've died to your sin, you're being raised to a new life in Christ. And then at the end of Jesus' life, he gave us the ordinance of baptism. And he does it in Matthew 26. I read it to the kids earlier, and I'm going to read it again. This is Matthew chapter 26, verse 26. 
And I want you to see that uh, in, within the context of the Lord's Supper, there's kind of three things that are being done here. I'm going to walk through each of those three things. It says this, Matthew 26, verse 26. Matthew chapter 26, verse 26. While they were eating, Jesus took some bread. And after blessing, after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my father's kingdom. So there's kind of three things going on here within the context of what Jesus is doing for the Lord's Supper. You all know that in Matthew chapter 26, this is the Jesus is walking towards the end of his life. He's on a journey to Jerusalem where he'll go to the cross so that we can be forgiven of our sins. In the meantime, on the way there, he shares what we call the Last Supper with his disciples. The Last Supper is a time where he's going to come together and he's going to share the Old Testament Passover meal. Right? Give me some head nods just to know everybody's following along. They're going to share the Lord, they're going to share the Passover together. So a table's been prepared. They're going to eat it according to the Old Testament traditions. The Passover lamb has been, has been killed. And now they're together and they're eating the meal. And so that Passover meal was a time for all of Israel at the same time to come together in their individual houses and eat a meal where the lamb has been killed. And it represented the lamb that was during the time of the Exodus where the people were going to be delivered from Egypt and the angel of death was going to come through the town. And anyone who had killed a lamb, put the blood over their doorpost, was going to be passed over by the angel of death. And so Jesus is passing over sin and they're eating this Passover meal in remembrance that God has indeed passed over their sin. God has indeed freed them from bondage, physical bondage in Egypt and delivered them into the promised land. And so there's one aspect of this Lord's Supper meal that they're obeying the old covenant, right? They're observing the Passover. And so that's one aspect. They share the Lord's, they share the Passover looking back to what Jesus did in passing over sins, and they're thankful that one day God is going to take care of the sin problem of the land of Israel. So the Passover is ultimately looking forward to one day God is going to solve the sin problem once and for all. And the book of Hebrews chapter 4 tells us this, or chapter 10 rather, 1 through 4, tells us that each year they would have to do these offerings. Each year they would have to do these uh, these feasts pointing forward to a day where one day God would forgive them permanently of their sins. Another aspect of this Lord's Supper is that Jesus takes what is their Passover meal and he alters it in such a way to show them that that Passover meal actually has its fulfillment in the new covenant and that is what Jesus has come to this earth to do. And so he took some of the bread that would normally be at the Passover meal. And he says, this is my body that's broken for you. He takes some of the juice that's already at the Passover meal. And he says, this is my blood which is poured out for you. And he shows them how that, that Old Testament Passover meal connects to what he's getting ready to do on the cross within the new covenant. You following me again? And so it's in the old covenant. They're looking forward to God taking care of the sin problem. Now Jesus is giving them a ordinance the Lord's Supper, we call it, looking back to when Jesus died on the cross 
to forgive us of our sins, ushering in the new covenant. And then he tells his disciples, he says, listen, I won't do this again. I will not drink from the fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. And so he's also foreshadowing a time when he's going to share this meal again with them. And so you have three things going on there. One is going back to the old covenant. One is God is, or Jesus is showing them what he's doing, getting ready to do and ushering in the new covenant. And then he's saying that, listen, there's an even greater fulfillment coming one day because I'm not going to eat this again or drink this again until I share it with you in my father's kingdom. You follow me? Three things. But there's one thing that rings true all throughout history. And that is this. God desires intimate fellowship with his people always. Go back to, I'm not going to ask you to turn there. You can go ahead and turn to the book of Exodus, if you will. Exodus chapter 24. If you remember back to the book of Genesis, though, God creates Adam and Eve. He creates a garden for them. He puts them in the garden where they're going to worship and obey Lord. They're free to do what? To eat from any tree in the garden that they want to eat, except for one. And so, in a sense, every meal that Adam and Eve share, they're sharing it with the presence of the Lord right there with them in the garden. It's intimate fellowship. God's walking in the garden in the cool of the day. The people are there fellowshipping with the Lord. And when they're hungry, they're enjoying good food which God provided right there in the garden. Keep the head nods up for me, if you will. Good deal. And so, then you move over to Genesis chapter 3. All of that falls apart. Adam and Eve eat from the tree they're not supposed to. Fellowship with God has been distorted. And now God in Genesis 3.15 is is trying to get things back to where man and woman have a good relationship with the Lord. Right? To restore that fellowship. And in order to do that, the sin has to be taken care of. And so you move to Exodus chapter 24. You know what's happened in between Genesis 3 and Exodus. I've told you maybe a hundred times by now. But God's people are in the wilderness. Right? God's getting ready to give his law to the people. And check out what he does. This is in Exodus chapter 24. This is verse 9. Exodus 24 verse 9. You know what? We're going to end up doing good on time. So I'm going to back up and I'm going to start in verse 1. This is Exodus chapter 24, verse 1. Then he said to Moses, that's God said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and you shall worship at a distance. Verse 2. Moses alone, however, shall come near to the Lord, but they shall not come near, nor shall the people come up with him. Then verse 3. Moses came And recounted to the people all the words of the Lord and all the ordinances. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words of the Lord has, all the words which the Lord has spoken, we will do. Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. Then he arose early in the morning, built an altar at the foot of the mountain with twelve pillars for the twelve tribes of Israel. He sent young men of the sons of Israel and they burnt, they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as peace offerings to the Lord. Moses took half the blood and put it in basins, and the other half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. So Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. And so God ratifies the old covenant with the people. And then listen to what happens after God's given his law to the people. 
the people have responded with everything you've said we will do. And so this is an intimate time of fellowship between the people and God. And listen to what happens, verse 9. Then Moses went up with Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, verse 10, and they saw the God of Israel. And under his feet there appeared to be a pavement of sapphire, as clear as the sky itself. Yet he did not stretch out his hand against the nobles of the sons of Israel. And they saw God, and they ate and drank. And so God establishes his old covenant with the people. And then he invites them to where he was living. And he invites them to eat in his presence. This is just a picture of God wanting intimate fellowship with his people. And gang, if you're here today and you're a follower of Christ, God wants to have an intimate fellowship with you in your life. You think about what happens when you eat with people. I'm not talking about just eating at a restaurant. I'm talking about like you would eat Thanksgiving meal at your house. You catch up with family members you haven't seen in a while. It gives you a chance to put your arm around some distant cousins and say, hey, how's your life going? It gives you a chance to put your arm around people like some of you like to do. Why aren't you married yet? What's wrong with you? Right? Those annoying things that that single people hate to hear. Everybody says them. But when you eat together in an intimate environment like Thanksgiving, it gives you a chance to tell that wayward cousin, hey, when when are you going to get your things together? Right? When, why don't you, why don't you come live with me for a while? Why don't you see what we can do to help you along? It gives you an opportunity to have intimate fellowship like you don't get to have any other time. Something happens when God's people eat together that brings them closer and closer together. And this is a chance where God wants to fellowship with his people. Go a little further over to the book of Deuteronomy. You got Genesis, Exodus, skip over Leviticus, you'll be in the book of Deuteronomy. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 14. This eating with the Lord and fellowshipping with the Lord continues from Adam and Eve to God's people Israel leaving the land of Egypt. God sets up laws for the people to keep that involve them coming to his house to share a meal. I want you to see it. We've talked about it before, so I know this is going to be remembrance for a lot of you. Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 22. This is commands about tithes and offerings. Deuteronomy 14, verse 22. God says, you shall surely tithe all the produce from which you sow, which comes out of the field every year. And so we're talking about a tithe. A tithe is, generally speaking, Old Testament language, 10%. Okay, and so you're tithing out of the field, whatever you get, 10%. I don't see any of our farmers right this minute. There's a few. Colby, how'd you like to put in a cart 10% of everything you harvest and drag it to a city as far away, as wide as the state of Vermont? That'd be tough stuff to do. That's a lot of horses. That's a lot of carts. That's a lot of, lot of work involved in bringing your tithe to God. 10%. But listen to what the Lord does. You shall surely tithe all the produce what you sow, which comes out of the field every year. Verse 23. Listen to this. You shall eat in the presence of the Lord your God at the place where he chooses to establish his name. Right now, God's established his name in the tabernacle in Deuteronomy. It's going around from place to place, following, following or leading the people wherever God wants to take them. 
Ultimately, the Lord is going to set up Jerusalem and the temple is the place where he chooses for his name to dwell. And so once you fast forward a couple hundred years past the book of Deuteronomy, everyone from the land of Israel is going to have to bring their tithe to the land of Jerusalem, to the temple, to worship the Lord and eat there. You don't get to eat wherever you want to. You shall eat, verse 23, you shall eat in the presence of the Lord your God at the place where he chooses to establish his name. The tithe of your grain, your new wine, your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and your flock so that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. And then listen to this. I love this verse 24. This is how practical your God is. Verse 24. If the distance is so great for you, that you are not able to bring the tithe since the place where the Lord your God chooses to set his name is too far away from you when the Lord your God blesses you. So he says, listen, if the place is too far for you to take all of your tithe and notice what God does, he doesn't tell you how far is too far, right? Because how far is too far might change based on how much God blesses you. If there's a famine in the land and 10% of what you grow can fit in your pocket, you can go a long ways with a pocket full of pocket full of oats. But if the Lord pours out his blessing on you and you need 10 carts and 20 mules to pull it across the land of Israel, then the Lord says, listen, if it's too far for you to go, if it's too burdensome for you to bring the whole tithe, this is what I want you to do. If the distance, verse 24, is so great that you're not able to bring the tithe, since the place where the Lord your God chooses to set his name is too far away from you, when the Lord your God blesses you, verse 25, then you shall exchange it for money and bind the money in your hand and go to the place which the Lord your God chooses. Listen to this. This is amazing. You may spend the money for whatever your heart desires. Listen to that. And so God wants his people to bring what he's blessed them with back to the land. And he says, but listen, if it's too burdensome, if you bought a hybrid car and you should have bought an SUV, right? And you can't fit all of your blessing into the little car, then sell it. Put the money in the trunk. Come to the place where the Lord has chosen for his name to dwell and buy whatever you want to buy so that you can enjoy a meal in the Lord's presence. Is that not fabulous? There's pictures out there that I've seen. There's a particular festival that I think would be really neat called the, the Feast of Booths or the Feast of the Tabernacles. You've heard of this before. That's when everybody would come to Jerusalem from all over Israel. All of the Israelites would come back and they would surround Jerusalem and they would all pitch tents around the temple. Right? You're talking about over a million people coming and camping in tents together. So that they can worship the Lord together. You ever been camping with a group of friends? Man, it's a good time. It probably would have been even more fun then because it was more like normal living. Now we're living like homeless people when we go camping, right? So it would have been different then. And they're, they're coming together. And they're bringing their tithe. And they're cooking good food together in the presence of the Lord. Because the Lord wants to have fellowship, intimate fellowship with his people. And so he says, exchange it for ox and sheep. And then listen to what he says. Whatever your heart desires, in middle of verse 26, and there you shall eat in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice you and your household. And so you bring the whole gang. You buy all sorts of good food. You enjoy fellowship together with you and your family and the Lord. And it says to rejoice. And what are you doing rejoicing? What is this sort of 
what is the occasion for this cookout together? It's that the Lord has promised a way to forgive each of us of our sin. You're camping in front of the tab, excuse me, you're camping in front of the tent, the tabernacle or the temple. And there's a veil covering where God's presence is. And because you know the Old Testament, you can tell your family, you can walk your kids by the temple and say, right now there's a veil in front of the Holy of Holies, but there's a way God's made that one day we'll be able to have access to God. And so you're gathered together and you're rejoicing that your God has promised you that he's made a way for your sins to be forgiven. It just hasn't happened yet. And so there's great rejoicing. You fast forward over to Matthew 26, where we just talked about, and the Lord is is eating the Passover meal, right? He's eating that meal with the people. They're rejoicing that one day God is going to forgive the, people, the sins of the people. And Jesus tells them, I'm getting ready to go to the cross. And the Son of Man is going to die for the people of Israel. And He's showing them, He's moving that Passover celebration to the Lord's Supper, remembering what Jesus did. And so now when we share the Lord's Supper together, we're not looking forward to a time where... God's going to forgive the sins of the people, gang, because he's already done it. You ever had a party before something happened? Getting ready for it? So you ever gone to a football game, got there three or four hours early and tailgated? You ever done that? Y'all will skip church and do it, but you won't admit that you do it. Shame on you. All right. And so anyways, so we love tailgating, right? You love getting all of your team's apparel packing it all into a truck, laying it all out, and having a great time, having a pre-game party because your team's getting ready to play and you're hoping that they're going to win, right? Think Passover. You're having a party leading up to what God has promised that he's going to do. We have fabulous tailgate parties. They're a blast. We spend all kinds of money buying all sorts of gadgets so that we can have fun cooking out of the back of our cars. And we love it. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. But what I'm telling you is that the Lord's Supper is like an after-the-game party when our team's already won. Because Jesus has already gone to the cross. He's already secured eternal life, forgiveness of sins, and all sorts of other blessings that were promised. And so the Lord's Supper goes from being a pre-game, God has promised something, to a post-game, look how great God is and what He's done. And it's a physical reminder of what Jesus has already accomplished for you. And then Jesus says, but it gets even better, right? Because this life... It's full of all sorts of trouble and trials and problems. He says, but there's one day when we're going to eat this meal again. And over in the book of Revelation, it's not a long verse. Go over to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19, last book of the Bible, just before the maps. Revelation chapter 19. I'm going to start reading around verse 4, right at verse 4. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sits on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And verse 5, and a voice came from the throne saying, Give praise to our God, all you his bondservants, you who fear him, the small and the great. Then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude and like the sound of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Verse 7. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to Him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, 
and his bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, verse 9, Write, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And gang, we have to look forward to within the Lord's Supper when we will eat and dine with Jesus again in heaven at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And this is going to be really helpful for you to understand this particular principle. I'm, going to, I'm not going to read any scriptures, but I'm going to point you to them for further study. You remember the parable of the ten virgins? That the Lord tells a story about a man who's betrothed to a woman. There's ten virgins in the house, and he's coming back at a time they don't know. You remember that? Well, this all deals with weddings in old Jewish time. So there's three kind of parts to a wedding. The first is a woman is identified for a man to be married to. The man gives some sort of dowry to the parents. You give some sort of sheep, some sort of camel, some sort of gift to the parents so that you can be betrothed. You can enter into the betrothal period between the man and a woman, which usually lasted for about a year until you had the, the gift that was given to the bride's family so that you could be betrothed. So that's first the gift of the dowry. And then you usually had about a year long betrothal process, right? We would call it an engagement process. And then you had at some point in time, the, the bridegroom would come with his, we would call them groomsmen, he would come at midnight at some point, and he would come and get the woman and take her to the wedding, right? That's why the parable of the ten virgins makes so much sense, because this was normal to them. The bridegroom was coming back at an hour that maybe the, the bride didn't know, and so she had to be ready. And so listen to this, gang. Jesus, at the cross, paid your dowry, Okay? You're living in a time now of the church age, we call it. You're living in a betrothal period right now. Where you've been promised to be married to Christ. Now you're in a period where we're waiting for Christ to come back and get us. And so this marriage supper of the Lamb takes place after Jesus comes back to get his church. And this marriage supper of the Lamb is much like the feast that would happen. You remember when Jesus does his first miracle, he turns water into wine. He's at a wedding in Canaan, and this feast is going on and on. Oftentimes, the wedding feast would go on for days after the wedding. And so it was like a Thanksgiving where you really enjoyed everyone, and they just never went home, right? Some of you, that doesn't sound enjoyable to you, but for, for those of you who have great Thanksgiving get-togethers, it's like a Thanksgiving that never ends, a Christmas that never ends. It just keeps going, right? And then people eventually go home. And so this marriage supper of the Lamb is going to be when Jesus comes back to get us. And things are perfect. Because Jesus has rescued us from this earth where there's all sorts of sin, all sorts of baggage, all sorts of bad decisions, all sorts of things that we would just rather not ever have to deal with again. And when we eat with Jesus again, we do it in a place that he has prepared for us that is perfect. And so as we come together to eat the Lord's Supper, I want you to be encouraged. I want you to be encouraged that God has forgiven you of your sins already. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, that he is the son of God, and that he died on the cross to save you from your sins, if you've repented of your sins and you're walking with him, you can rest assured 
that you don't have to hope that your sins will be forgiven. Your sins have already been forgiven. And this is a mere reminder of you, a physical reminder that his body was broken and his blood was poured out for you personally. And then we have to look forward to a time where he erases all sin and even the chance of sin. And we dwell with him forever in eternity. Amen? And so before we come to the Lord's table, I want to invite any of you who maybe you're here and you've never put your faith in Jesus before. You've never turned from your sin, believed in Jesus, asked him to forgive you, and him giving you eternal life in heaven. Brothers and sisters, I'd like to invite you at some point to do that. Also, if you're here and you're taking of the Lord's table with us, anybody who's put their faith in Jesus is welcome to eat it with us. But in the same way that we're excited about the Lord's table, in the same way that we're looking forward to sharing it with Jesus in heaven, there's another parable that catches us off guard at times. There's a parable about a a king who's prepared a feast. And the people who were supposed to come to the feast make excuses why they can't come. So the king tells the servants to go get anybody who will come. And you find in the midst of this parable that there's one person who gets in that isn't dressed in wedding clothes that the king provided. And so in the same way that we take this table with great joy and anticipation and thanksgiving, we also have to be careful in the way that we take it, that we take it in a rightful manner. So 1 Corinthians is going to tell us all about, listen, be careful in the manner which you take the Lord's table. Make sure that you're not harboring any sin, any known sin in your life. He says because there's people amongst you in 1 Corinthians that have actually died because they've taken of the Lord's table in an unworthy manner. And so brothers and sisters, just remember that even though we serve a king who has forgiven us of anything that you could ever imagine and every, everything that you could ever imagine... If you find yourself at a point now where you're not walking with him, get right with the Lord as we pass out the elements uh, so that you can take of the table in a worthy manner. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for that Passover lamb that was slain. Lord, we thank you for your body that was broken. And Lord, we find ourselves in great humility because we know that it was our body that deserved to be broken and it was our blood that deserved to be poured out as a punishment for our sins. However, because of the great love you have for us, you sent your son to take our place. And Father, we could never, ever be more grateful to you. God, I pray that you would do great things amongst us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to, during this time, maybe put our faith in you for the first time. Lord, if we're here and we've had the Lord's Supper hundreds of times, Lord, I pray that this time that we would do it in a manner worthy of you. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to reflect on our lives, help us to repent of any sin that may be in our hearts. And, Father, I pray that you would do a work in us that only you can do. As in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would come help me get the table ready. At this time, I'll read a scripture. And then we'll pray together. And then after I pray, we'll, we'll take the bread. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took the bread, and we had given thanks, he broke it, and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your body that was broken. Lord, we thank you 
that after a night of prayer, you saw going to the cross worth it because you wanted to be obedient to the Father and you wanted to forgive the world of all of their sins. And Father, we know that we're not deserving, but we love you and we're grateful for all that you've done for us. And Father, we also, we look forward to that day when we'll see you face to face and we'll enjoy this meal with you in person in a party. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Take and eat. We'll do the same thing again. I'll read a scripture. We'll pray together and then we'll take of the cup. Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This is now in verse 25. In the same way he, Jesus, took the cup also after supper saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So you've got looking back, remembering about Jesus. And then he says in verse 26, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so, brothers and sisters, let's take this cup after prayer, looking forward to the day when Jesus comes and we drink this together in heaven. Father, we thank you that one day you're coming back for us. Lord, we are so grateful that we can look back to when you conquered death, when you beat sin. And Father, we look forward to the day when we'll reign forever with you in heaven, sharing this cup. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. If you would stand with us, we're going to close with our normal song of invitation after the Lord's Supper. And then after the song is over, we're going to have a special time of prayer uh, for Mark Tadlock. And so if you would stand with us for our hymn of invitation, but don't leave afterwards. Be seated for just a moment. I'm going to, Randy, I'm going to put you on the spot real quick. If you would come up here to the pulpit. And uh, I don't know if any of you know or not, but uh, Mark Tadlock is Milton and Barbara's son. Also, Jill Perry's brother. Make sure I get everybody right. And uh, he's going to be going to UNC Chapel Hill uh, for a surgery. He's going to be in the hospital about three days. Uh, it's pretty serious surgery about his hip replacement. He's got some other things going on that make it a little more complicated. And he's going to be over that direction for about three to four weeks. And so Jill's asked if we would have a special time of prayer for him. And so I'm going to ask Randy if you would pray uh, specifically for our brother Mark. And then uh, if you would just go ahead and close us in prayer also. And uh, when Randy's finished praying, we'll be dismissed. Randy? Father, we humble ourselves before you, Lord. We recognize your greatness and your mercies. And Father, you know what's on our heart. Uh, we just take comfort in knowing that we can ask anything of you. We can go to our Father uh, with anything, Lord. Uh, our request this morning is uh, Mark Tadlock. Uh, we know that his health has been compromised for uh, some time now. Uh, Lord, we know the seriousness of the uh, surgery, the upcoming uh, procedures, and Lord, it uh, certainly sounds like uh, there's a, a long healing process and recovery. Uh, Father, we uh, know you're the great physician, the great healer. Uh, we pray for a complete and thorough healing for Mark. Uh, Lord, um, uh, we pray that, uh, that this will be done. We pray that your will will be followed. Uh, and Lord, above all, we pray that you're glorified through this. And um, as he recovers, that you know all the glory goes to you and, and uh, to your church, Father. Uh, Lord, we also just thank you for this opportunity that we've had to worship you through this awesome experience of uh, communion. Lord, we pray that um, it's been 
uh, worthy uh, to you. Lord, we pray that it's been honoring to you. Uh, Lord, we pray that as we go out this week, that we'll carry our faith, uh, wear it on our sleeves for the world to see. We pray that uh, all of this will be pleasing to your name. It's in Christ's name we ask this, Lord. Amen.